Welcome to the newest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Survive and Thrive, a podcast co-hosted by Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and Courtney Nordrum, Regulatory Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer at Deluxe. This season on Survive and Thrive, we're talking about compliance disasters, which befell companies because they weren't looking at the right clues, had their collective heads in the sand, or did not expect the unexpected. If you want to know how to prepare for and avoid disasters from the compliance perspective, this podcast series is the podcast series for you. Survive and Thrive. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to our final episode of Season 1 of Survive and Thrive. Today, we're going to take up one of the most ubiquitous potential problems that any corporation can face, and that is how to survive a social media disaster. Uh, this is no longer the newest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, but it is a podcast where we unpack compliance crises and disasters, walking you through all the red flags which appeared in, in and give you lessons learned going forward. As always, I'm your co-host, Tom Fox. And I'm Courtney Nordrum. This season on Survive and Thrive, we are talking and did talk about compliance disasters, uh, those unpleasant situations that companies find themselves in when they weren't looking at the right clues, they didn't know where to look, they had their heads in the sand, and or they hadn't figured out how to expect the unexpected. So today's episode, like Tom said, is about how to survive a social media disaster. And I hope you don't have to. And Courtney, the, the thing about social media disasters, it can be literally anything. It can be someone in your supply chain. It can be a social media post, a new executive put up 10 years ago. Uh, we had one, an editor from Vogue, no, Teen Magazine, who had a social media post that went up when she was 14 um, that caused her to have to resign a position. Uh, this, you know, over the past week, we've had uh, several examples. Uh, I don't know if you're a Jeopardy fan or not, but I am in the search for the new oh, host. Mike Richards, some of the bad choices. Yeah, uh, and they've just been skewered on social media. So uh, I can't really think of a, a more timely topic uh, for those CCOs listening out there who may not think, uh, this really falls within their bailiwick. Uh, Courtney's going to explain to you why it does. So, Courtney, uh, you're actually having a normal day. Um, perhaps good, perhaps not. Uh, but you're sitting at your desk having lunch and checking your, your own uh, email and social media. And you notice the company is trending. And you have a social media background, and you know what that means. And so you think that's a little odd because Deluxe as we would say here in uh, Texas, um, really doesn't trend too often. And uh, there weren't any new announcements coming out today that at least you were aware of. So you go to Twitter and you realize that, yeah, we're trending, but we're not trending for the right reasons. Someone on the corporate social media team has made a big mistake. Now you get a call from uh, the CEO and he says, Courtney, what happened and how do we make it go away? You're the fixer of things, and you are well-known for being cool, calm, and collected when all else around them are losing their heads. So I'm going to put you in charge of this cleanup. Uh, I expect a report back on your preliminary findings and assessment uh, tomorrow at this time. So 
what steps do you take? How do you assess the damage? And then how do you remediate and incorporate the lessons learned in a root cause analysis going forward, if I could use some compliance terms? Yeah. So first step, um, as always, is talking the CEO off a ledge. So we got to be the, the um, calm voice in the room sometimes. And the thing with social media disasters is they're ubiquitous, but unless it's huge, like biggest mistake ever, um, they're, they're fairly fleeting. So unless, unless we've gotten into some sort of legal trouble with this kind of disaster, we're talking about reputationable reputation damage, and we're likely to be replaced by the newest social media disaster in, in a few days instead of weeks or months. And so talking the CEO off the ledge, step number one. Step number two is reaching out to the team that, that runs our social media. So it can be communications, it can be marketing, or really kind of anything. I don't know where it sits in everyone's organization. But whoever runs social media, we're going to have to reach out to them and determine next steps. So we need to fix the problem now. Do we need to remove the post? Do we need to issue a retraction? Do we need to publicly apologize? Is there some sort of mea culpa that needs to happen? Do we need to eat some crow? Um, and so we need to figure out if the post itself needs to come down and if the result of that post is us needing to apologize or whatever, that's gonna be kind of the PR next step. That's the urgency. So that needs to happen right away as soon as possible to kind of contain the damage. Once the damage has been contained, um, it doesn't become less damaging, but we're at least not piling on, then we're gonna do the root cause analysis. So as we talked about a, a couple of podcasts ago, it's really important to figure out what happened or what didn't happen to allow the situation to occur. And that is likely going to be um, a, a, one of a few things. Did someone not log out of their personal or not log out of the work account and thought they were posting on their personal account? Did we have an automatic uh, post that then was taken out of context because it was written weeks ago and now it, it doesn't match how the world really is, is happening? So that that's something we saw with the Boston Marathon bombing is people were, there were a lot of auto tweets and posts going up about Boston because the marathon was happening that day. And those tweets had been written weeks before and scheduled for the marathon day, except when the marathon happened and, and the attack happened, then those tweets were all really, really inappropriate because of the things they said. Um, I'm thinking of Adidas tweeted out around the, the end time, four or so hours after the start of the marathon, so you survived the marathon, hashtag Boston Marathon. Yeah. And it, it was it was funny and cute if there weren't an issue, but since since there was the Boston bombing, it, it became a really serious PR issue. So we want to see kind of what happened that this situation was was able to occur. Hopefully. Um, in, in your organization, I know mine does, 
you have a social media policy. And so you can go back to the policy and see if the policy was broken as well. I, I, I'm not a big fan of trying to hunt for people to blame because at the end of the day, it's about taking accountability and making sure we're giving people the tools they need for their jobs, including real-time compliance training. But the social media policy is really going to be the backbone of what your organization uses to, to decide how social media happens. One of the things I see a lot, and I speak on social media fairly often, is that the policies that are written are geared toward employees using social media in their personal lives. So if I went on some sort of terrible, horrible, damaging rant on, I don't know, TikTok or, or Twitter, and that rant was discriminatory or harassing or any number of things, then the social media policy could address how the, how the company would handle that. Very rarely are policies written with the social media team in mind. So one of the things I talk about when I'm talking about best practices and social media compliance is having two policies, one for the team that is in charge of social media. And one that says here, when you're using social media on behalf of our organization, here are the rules you have to follow and here are the resources. You can't steal any music, you can't steal pictures, <laughs> you you know don't swear, you post between these hours, etc. All of the kind of guidelines on what it means to use social media on behalf of the organization. The other policy is more of an HR policy where it says, here's what to do when employees are caught having bad behavior on social media, or if there's some sort of other kind of blow up that is not about the social media team. So the, the best practice is really to bifurcate the two. And with all policies, you really want to make sure that you're speaking to the right audience. Social media is not new, but it's also not old hat quite yet. And so you want to make sure that your policies actually hit the audience they're intended for. I tend to uh, advocate for less formal policies. I using words like, hey, be respectful, be honest, let the company know if you screw up. Those kinds of terms also make it less foreboding than a, a traditional HR policy. Use okay, and at one of the, another best practice is to provide examples of what's okay and what's not. So a big place this is helpful is in the confidentiality space. So you say, don't share confidential information. Okay, well, what's confidential information mean? It has a meaning in contracts and it has a meaning generally at work, but what does it mean in the, in the world of social media? Well, it means if you're taking a selfie in a conference room, make sure that the whiteboard in the background doesn't have anything on it that isn't public information. Make sure that any screens, if you're in a hospital, aren't showing up on your social media or in the healthcare setting that you're not accidentally identifying a patient. So make specific examples and use specific examples of what the company considers to be confidential information. 
Talk about what you can say about your customers and clients and whether or not you have permission to say those things. And, and most importantly is train, 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 train. All of this goes out the window if the organization isn't training on how to actually make the choices they need to make and do the things that they need to do. Finally, that training, particularly with social media, needs to include who to call for help. So if the, the team in charge of social media in our hypothetical knew that there was an issue, they should know who to call for help. They should know, oh no, we're trending, <laughs> that's bad. Who do I go to to help me fix it? And, and the answer is sometimes legal, sometimes compliance, maybe HR. It depends on your organization, but we always need to give everyone the opportunity to succeed. And that means telling them the lifeline. Where are you gonna go if you have questions? Where are you gonna go if the sky is falling and things have gotten really real? Um, so here's where you go for help. If you screw up, here's the number you call. Um, and so I think that's a really key piece in social media because the minutes and the hours count in social media in a way that they don't necessarily in other parts of the organization. Courtney, before we get to any lessons learned in listening to you, it really strikes me that you thought through and then worked through a process. And the process you worked through essentially is the same process we would utilize in a compliance matter. Um, would that, one, would, would that be a fair assessment? But then two, the process that you walked us through, does that type, does that process lend itself to a variety of issues, uh, whether it be a compliance issue, whether it be a social media issue, whether it be some other legal or regulatory obligation within a company? Is that a process that the structure of which you detailed we can use in a variety of, of areas? Absolutely, Tom. Once again, you've nailed it right on the head. <laughs> this is a, a process that is based on, and, and you've heard me say it before, our, our incident or crisis response plan. So the process starts with stopping the bleeding, right? We need to stop the bleeding and, and address the, the urgent things first, and then we systematically go down the list of what needs to happen next. So walking, the, taking the CEO off the ledge, usually step one. Two, what needs to happen to stop the bleeding? And, and how do we make it, make the situation not worse? Once we've got the situation stabilized, then we can talk about next steps, including root cause analysis. And the root cause analysis is then going to drive the, um, the, the list of things that need to change, improve, et cetera. So we're gonna say, okay, the root cause analysis findings tell us that we didn't have the right controls in place or we didn't have a policy or people didn't know who to turn to for help. So then we make those changes. Then we implement those changes and retrain. And for every incident, um, any kind of crisis, you can use the same exact process. It, it, it really applies to not only compliance, but PR, communications, and in real life, I think. So if there's some sort of emergency in your real life, and I pray there's not, but there, it, it's the same kind of process you can go through. Stop the bad from happening, get to a stable place, figure out why the bad happened, 
and then make changes to make sure that the bad doesn't happen again. So it's an additional reason that the CEO called upon you in addition to your triple C rating of Calm, Cool and Collective is that in your role, you, you really work across all organizations and discipline within the company. You are a cross-functional machine. And uh, just in dealing with mm-hmm. compliance issues, you have to meet with a wide variety and perhaps every corporate function. So when some type of disaster, whether it be social media or other pipes up, you, you really have relationships with everyone because you've had to build relationships to do compliance and the CEO can tap into that relationship building that you've done. Would that also be part of the role of a CCO? Absolutely. I was explaining to someone yesterday um, in, in real life, in my real job, we're integrating an acquisition. And I was explaining how integrating this acquisition isn't about putting compliance or legal on top. It's about weaving it throughout. And one of the benefits of being in compliance is that we are woven throughout every other part of the organization, which means we know a lot about the organization. We know how we run, but we also know a ton of the people. And so having those relationships to draw on also makes us huge resources, even if it's not a compliance disaster. Uh, if, if it's a question nobody can seem to get the answer to, a lot of times it comes to compliance because compliance knows the right person to ask a lot of times. So you're right, Tom. I think that not only can we become expert resources in corporate compliance, but we're expert resources in our company because we know our companies inside and out. So the um, the last real area I wanted to explore with you is on several of the podcasts we have discussed disasters where you have one either immediately brought in outside help or two brought in outside help when it turned out you needed that that specific expertise is social media one that you would bring in an outside expert or would you assess uh, make an initial triage then determine if you perhaps needed outside help uh, as opposed to the second thing you did was pick up the phone and call your trusty lawyer So for this one, I would likely do an assessment. And if I'm going to bring in outside help, it's probably going to be on the PR side. Um, But this, I I don't have the the kind of baseline view here. I've been dealing in social media compliance, Tom, as you know, for, for, I don't know, like pushing a decade. So I just happen to have a lot of information and knowledge in this space. I think many... um, Corporate compliance teams would likely call up outside counsel, um, particularly if they're publicly traded. So if you have the SEC or if you're in the financial industry and you have the financial regulations to contend with on top of your social media, then there are going to be potentially some sticky issues that you need to work through. And in, in my opinion, the call to outside counsel is probably warranted. Um, if, if you are a certain electro, electronic car company and your CEO has gone on a Twitter rampage, then you certainly want to call outside counsel because, you know, the SEC cares about what gets tweeted by CEOs. So I think that there is a place for counsel to advise on social media and on social media disasters. Um, but 
for me, I'm hoping a the disaster isn't isn't take the company down, and b, I think that the PR part of it is probably in in the majority of social media disasters the PR piece is going to be the bigger piece than the legal liability or compliance responsibility piece. What do you see as some of the key lessons learned from our hypothetical today, Courtney? Uh, social media is really fun, but it needs to be taken seriously, particularly at a corporate level. And the old adage that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So teach people what they need to do before they have the opportunity to screw it up. Teach everyone in your organization your expectations of, on how social media interaction should work. You know, don't harass anyone, don't be a horrible human being, etc. But also teach the team that's using social media what their responsibilities are. Uh, I have worked with dozens of compliance officers from across the world, and I would tell you nine out of the ten of them would tell me their social media teams think it's okay to go um, do a Google image search and use any image they find in their posts. And so we really need to think about social media as another avenue of our media and our communications and take it seriously, which means train, train, train the teams that are doing it. Courtney, I, I have to read the famous Warren Buffett quote, which is it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. You think about that, you'll do things differently. And certainly that's true on social media. But the other thing that Matt Kelly continually reminds us about social media is twofold. One, it amplifies whatever that message is. And it gives like-minded people a way to connect and congregate and perhaps become a rabble in a way that they would not have been able to prior to social media. So uh, it really can aggregate and amplify a voice. And if you find yourself in one of these imbroglios, uh, you really need to be to be able to respond. Um, don't call your lawyers. Don't be tone deaf. Uh, the other thing that you, and you said this early on, and it's a key point that gets missed, which is this is fleeting. And unless it becomes a major criminal scandal or, or something else, you're going to get through it, and with the social media cycle of 24 hours or less, you may not be trending by the end of the day. Uh, that may not be a complete comfort, right. but it, uh, you may be trending in the right direction from your point of view. So uh, you want to take us home, Courtney? Sure. Thank you all for joining us for the Survive and Thrive series. If you can't get enough of listening to Tom, the voice of compliance, please check out the other offerings on the Compliance Podcast Network for more perspectives and more time. So I wanted to thank you, Courtney. This has been a, a heck of a lot of fun, this season one of Survive and Thrive. Uh, this is our last episode, but I am going to give a little teaser because we're going to have a special bonus episode for our listeners. So uh, watch for that where uh, we're going to turn the tables and Courtney's going to uh, be behind the mic and interview me. So look forward uh, to doing recording that with you, Courtney, and continuing this great conversation. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast? Do you have an idea which you think would be helpful to the compliance community? Do you have a great story to tell? If any of these are true, why don't you start a podcast and put it on the Compliance Podcast Network? 
I partnered with One Stone Creative to create a end-to-end solution for you to tell your story on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you have questions, please email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and more importantly, I hope you will tell your story with your podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network.